think, I'm going to say it, I think the turnaround, there could be a turnaround for couples that are listening to me by you saying, even now, perhaps, God, what you called love, I never had for my husband. Perhaps what you call love, I never had for my wife. And God, I'm asking for your help right now. I want to love this person. Now we're going to talk about what that means. I'm going to give you a definition of that kind of love. But I'm frightened. Because I think it may be that selfishness and self-focus and self-obsession does a very good job of parading as love for the other person when it's not actually. And you know what happens? That always blows up. I've performed hundreds of marriages. I get the calls. It's over! The call I got that was closest to the ceremony was 6.30 the next morning. I just think those people were ahead of the class. I told them I thought it was wonderful that they came to the end so fast. I said, it usually takes couples longer. This is a good thing. This is God's work in your life. He's brought you to the end quicker. Why mess up 30 years? You've, you've only messed up one day. Praise God for that. His wife is crying on the phone. And I'm saying, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited. She says, would you quit being excited? I'm upset. I said, I understand why you're upset, but it's good upset. Praise Jesus. Now you're ready to make a marriage. Because it hadn't worked. That night was a textbook in self-love. And they got it. They got it that all that attraction wasn't actually love at all. And she said, I don't think my husband loves me. I said, you're right. <laughs> That's not what she wanted to hear. And I said, can I say this to you? I used her voice. I don't think you love him either. <laughs> she said, That's not nice. I said, But it's true. And that was the beginning of great things for that couple. You see, this is an insight. Sin causes me to shrink my world down to my wants, my needs, my feelings. I do love you and have a wonderful plan for your life. I live with silent demands. I know exactly what I want you to do and how I want you to do it. I'm loaded with my desires, my plans, my purposes, the things that make me comfortable and things that make me feel safe and the things that make me secure and the things that make me happy. It's me, 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 me. And I will admit this. I would love to say to you that I'm free of that. I'm not free of it yet. Oh, Jesus, please continue to free me. I'm so full of myself that you can't even serve me. I have an eye condition. And I have severe, severe dry eyes and... Uh, night is hard for me because my eyes at the end of the day don't shift well between light and darkness. It makes driving dangerous. I told Luella, that my wife, that I figured this out, that 
uh, as things get blurry, there are mobile blobs and stationary blobs, and when you're driving, the idea is to avoid them both. <laughs> and that doesn't give her much comfort, and so <laughs> she's, she's said that she'll drive for us in the evening. She does it because she loves me, she wants to serve me. So on a particular evening, we're headed out to an appointed uh, location, and... Uh, right where I would have turned and she goes straight. I can't leave that alone. They say, why didn't you turn? She says, because this is the way I go. I can't leave that alone. I say, what if it's the wrong way? She says, I don't think, Paul, it's a matter of right and wrong. I think it's just a preference. I can't leave that alone. I say, you know, Luella, the, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. She says to me, that's why I didn't turn. She says, you know, Paul, why don't we do this? Why don't when... When you drive, you choose the directions. And when I drive, I'll choose the directions. That's logical, isn't it? I can't leave that alone. <laughs> and so I say to her, Luala, if we were in a helicopter right now, and we were flying over the city of Philadelphia, and we would swoop down over this location, you would know that my way is the right way. My wife looks at me very sincerely and says, Paul Tripp, I don't think a helicopter is what you need right now. <laughs> now there it is. There it is. Even, even, even when we're being served, we criticize the person who's serving us. How many times, men, have you come home at night and you've had some critical comment on something that's gone on in the house that day? The way something looks or the kind of meal that you're being served. Uh, we criticize the way the other person drives. We criticize if you're quiet. We criticize if you talk too much. Because it's my wants, my needs, my feelings. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. I want you to hear this. What Paul is actually arguing is that sin, in its essence, is antisocial. Because it turns me on my, in on myself. It makes the greatest joy, my joy, the greatest offense in life, offense against me, the most important purpose in life, my purpose. Listen. The selfishness of sin actually dehumanizes the people in my life. The selfishness of sin actually dehumanizes the people in my life. They quit being objects of affection 
they get reduced down to vehicles to help me get what I want or obstacles in the way of what I want. But they quit being people. And when you're a vehicle, I like you. I treat you with kindness and patience. And when you stand in the way of what I want, I'm spontaneously irritated and angry and I try to put pressure on you to bring you back into the service of my claustrophobic little kingdom of one. Now that, that leads us to our third principle. It is marriage this side of heaven is always a war between two kingdoms. I know this will be hard for some of you to hear because it doesn't sound very attractive. But I think it's so important to face. Hear this. Marriage is war. Marriage is war. Now you don't get that on a Hallmark card. <laughs> Oh, that's a nice card for our anniversary. Marriage, marriage is war. Jeannie will just love that. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Now, I don't mean that marriage is a war between the kingdom of the husband and the kingdom of the wife. What I mean is this. The wars that you have with one another are always the fruit of a deeper war going on in your heart. The wars that you have with one another as husband and wife are always connected to a deeper war that's going on in the heart and you will only ever solve these wars by solving this war down here. That's what upsets me about so much of the marriage literature that's out there. It never talks about the deeper war. So turn with me to Matthew 6. This passage is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Christ. It's probably the longest sermon we have recorded of Christ in Scripture. It is just magnificent teaching. And I'm going to read for you a rather lengthy passage because it's important to do so. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. <coughs> Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I want to just alert you to something in this passage before we do take it apart a little bit. Notice that the turn of the passage doesn't come till verse 33 begins with the word but. The whole first part of the passage is about the kingdom of self. The kingdom of God doesn't come in to the last two verses. Now that balance is skewed like that because Christ knows how dominant, how influential, how pervasive, how magnetic, how controlling the kingdom of self actually is. So he's got to spend a whole lot of time unpacking what the kingdom of self looks like before he begins to say, don't live for that, live for this. That's why the passage is weighted the way that it is. Now he uses as a way of talking about how the kingdom of self operates, he uses the word treasure. It's a wonderful word. Treasure is most often something of assigned value. Very few treasures have intrinsic value. We assign things value in our lives. This is a $20 bill. Some of you are familiar with this. You've seen these occasionally. Uh, now, why is this worth $20? 
It's not $20 worth of paper. It's not $20 worth of ink. It's assigned value. We have assigned this the value of $20. Now think about this. Once it gets assigned this value, it takes on terrific power and influence. You'll judge a job by how many of these it pays you. The number of these uh, you have will determine what neighborhood you live in and the size of your house. The number of these you have will determine the cuisine that you eat, the vacations that you're able to take, your hopes and dreams for your retirement, the level of your health care. It may sadly even determine the people that you are willing to hang out with. Once you assign something treasure, it takes on tremendous influence in your life. Now hear me say this, wives, husbands, there are things in life that you're assigning treasure to. And I want to give you the three treasure principles of this passage. Here's the first one. Everyone lives for some kind of treasure. If I was to watch wife or watch husband the video of your last six weeks, it would begin to clue me in on what treasure you're living for. Because your behavior in the situations and locations that God has placed you is your attempt to get what's valuable to you out of those situations, locations, and relationships. Everyone lives for some kind of treasure. Second principle, the thing that is your treasure will control your heart. The thing that is your treasure will control your heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Third principle, what controls your heart will control your behavior. What controls your heart will control your behavior. No one can serve two masters. Master is a term of control. Everyone lives for some kind of treasure. The thing that is your treasure will control your heart. And what controls your heart will control your behavior. Now what Jesus is saying here is your life is always shaped by one of two kinds of treasure. The treasure uh, of the kingdom of self or the treasure of the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of self is reduced by Christ to two categories. Earthbound treasure and anxiety-bound needs. Earthbound treasure and anxiety-bound needs. I'm living for what I've decided I want 
and I'm living for what I think I need. That forms my living. What's the problem with that? It's all about me. And Jesus says, this is not why you were created to live. This is not why you were recreated in Christ Jesus to live. You were created to live in a much bigger, much more glorious, much more wonderful kingdom. You were created to live in the big sky kingdom of God. And you're shrinking your life down to the claustrophobic confines of your anxiety-bound treasures and earth-bound treasures and anxiety-bound needs. And you're trying to co-opt the people in your life to serve your pursuit of your treasures and to serve your definition of need and they get criticized and accused and blamed and beaten up when they don't. And then Jesus says something that I think is very sweet and very sad at the same time. He says this, Don't you know that your Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need? How sad. I am spending my life obsessed with what my Father has promised to give. You see, you don't fix marriages, brothers and sisters, first horizontally. You don't fix marriages first horizontally. You fix them first vertically. You see, the war that I'm having with you is because I've lost the war in my heart. Think. If you're in this marriage obsessed with your kingdom and I'm in this marriage obsessed with my kingdom, here's what's going to happen. Tuesday morning, Wednesday evening, Thursday night, Christmas, Easter, vacations, shopping, restaurants, traffic, conversations, newspaper, magazines, television, food, It will never really happen. It's a sad thing to watch it happen. To watch couples who once adored one another, once spoke kindly to one another, now have distance and coldness, marital detente, sometimes violence and acrimony. It's sad for me to sit on a couch uh, with a couple and I, I know that they, they just adored one another and now they can barely say a civil word to one another. It's the kingdom of self. It's the kingdom of self. Look, it's only when the heart of this man is obsessed 
with God's purpose and God's will and God's kingdom. And the heart of this woman is obsessed with God's will and God's kingdom that they share a central purpose and the more they love God and the more they love His kingdom, the more they want His will, the more they live for His glory, the more they're drawn together in unity to one another because they have peace with one another because they share the desire for the same kingdom. It's only when you can look to your Lord and you can say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here, right now, in this marriage, as it is in heaven, that you are on the road to unity and understanding and love. Listen, enough with my kingdom. My will be done right here, right now, in this marriage, as it is in heaven. That only leads to hurt and war and discouragement and disappointment and separation. And the sad song of selfishness is played in marriages again and again and again. Oh, when are we going to silence that song? Jesus didn't give you His grace to make your kingdom work. He gave you His grace to invite you to a better kingdom. Wife, if you want, if you want marital love and understanding unity, you've got to exit the claustrophobic confines of your little kingdom of one. Husbands, if you want unity and love and understanding of marriage, you have to exit that claustrophobic kingdom of one that only has room for you in it. you have a father who knows exactly what you will need and who will be faithful to deliver it. Listen, your problem is not that that other person is unloving. It's love of you that's in the way of love of the other person. And for that, we need rescue. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is the only hope for your marriage. Because God rescues you from you so that you would able, be able to love as He's called for you to love. Let's pray. Lord, these are, these are hard things to hear hard things to admit and accept. Oh, I would pray that you'd open our hearts. Show us the places where that claustrophobic kingdom of self is in the way of the beautiful, unifying work of your kingdom. Lord, teach us as we continue to think about marriage biblically, 
as we continue to look for your better way, teach us what it means to live for your kingdom in a way that causes love to thrive. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.